to the Mission North Shore podcast. Well, it's uh, Resurrection Sunday, yeah? And because it is, we have come to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that means for us and the hope that that offers every single one of us. And what I want us to do this morning, and this is what I hope that every single one of us lay hold of as we look at these scriptures, as we reflect on what the resurrection means, is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the the whole point of it was to offer and to bring hope to the hopeless. That's the whole crux of, of the resurrection, because every human heart longs for hope, doesn't it? Every human heart needs hope, and I'm well aware that that there are some that have come this morning that are probably hurting, that are going through very difficult times, on the brink of despair, and really you may even be able to to characterize where you're at as, as hopeless and just downtrodden understand that there may be some here this morning that don't know Jesus and somebody brought you and I'm glad that they did because I want you to hear about the hope that's only available in Him. And I'm well aware that there may be some here that have, in this past year or in the years past, known the Lord but walked away from Him. It's time to come home and come back to Jesus And for that reason, I want to read a prayer of the Apostle Paul, kind of as we get started. Beautiful prayer from Ephesians chapter 1, and it says this, and this is our prayer for this morning. Paul wrote in Ephesians 1.18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Another translation says that your heart would be flooded with light. That's the, the prayer of the Apostle Paul, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards those of us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of his strength, of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in the heavenly places. And so that's our prayer this morning. We're, we're going to pray in just a second that God would just flood our hearts with light this morning and understanding of who he is and what he's done and what the power of the resurrection means to us. Father, as we come, we want to just open our heart to you now. Let the craziness of our world just kind of fade away for a minute. This is our prayer, Lord. We want our hearts to be enlightened, flooded with light, that we would know the hope of your calling, the the riches of your glory, and the power of your resurrection, Lord. Lord, I pray for those right now that have walked away from you, that they would come back this morning. Those that don't know you would come to know you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the historical, biblical account of the resurrection. It says in Matthew 28, it says, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, 
Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. Jesus had already been crucified and buried. He'd been in the tomb for three days. And it says, And behold, a severe earthquake occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone, and he sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him. They became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. And I like this. He says, For I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified, but he is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he is laying. I like um, what the angel says in, in Luke's gospel. He says, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? Like, why are you here? Why are you seeking the living one among the dead? And what we're doing this morning is we're looking at the historical, the biblical account of the most important event in all of human history. Think about that for a second. In all of human history, the most important biblical, the most greatest moment in all of human history, where where Jesus defeats death and proves his power over the grave and offers that to anyone willing to come to him. I mean, there's, there's no greater event in all of human history than what we celebrate today. And in fact, that's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there real quick. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you don't, it's okay. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says this event is of first importance. It's the most important thing. 1 Corinthians 15.1 says, Now, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which I received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached, unless you believed in vain. He said, For I delivered to you as of first importance, the most important thing, what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And then He appeared to Cephas, who was Peter, then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Falling asleep is a first century euphemism for having died. And then he appeared to James, and then all of the apostles. And then last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. And so what Paul is saying here is he goes, here's the gospel. Here's how we're saved. That Jesus was delivered over and crucified. And then he was buried, and then he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And Paul says here, this is the gospel. This is the remedy for the, the, the current state of humanity. Because the current state of humanity is a fallen state. That is that all humanity has sinned against the holy God. And, and because of that sin, we've all been alienated and separated from God. And because of that, God is right to judge us for our sin as we stand before him one day. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we know that, don't we? We know that every one of us have blown it at some point 
and sinned against the holy God. It says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of that sin is death. See, see, death comes into the world because of our sin. It wasn't a design of God. Everything that God made was beautiful and perfect. But because we sin, then death comes into the world. Our death is a result of our rebellion against God. And that's hard to swallow. That's horribly bad news. But the good news is that God so radically loves us that he was unwilling to let us die in our sins and be separated from him for all eternity without providing a way for us to come back into fellowship. That's what Jesus did. He took our judgment. He took our sins upon himself and he hung on a cross to die in our place. He was buried, but then... He rose again to prove that he and he alone holds life in his hands. And that he and he alone has the power to conquer death. That, that's what the resurrection is. The resurrection is all about hope. Because not only did Jesus conquer death for himself, but he also offers that life, that, that victory over death, that victory over the grave to every single person that's willing to come to him, for God so loved us that he was unwilling to let us die in our sin without providing a way back to him. Then it says in verse 3 and 4 there in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that all these things happened according to the scriptures. This is super important because what it means is these aren't just random events. This wasn't a good religious movement gone bad. This means that everything that happened was according to the work and the plan of God. That it happened through the scriptures. That, that God told us ahead of time exactly what was going to happen. So that when it came to pass, when God brought it to pass, we would know that this is God at work. That this is His plan. That we got the right God. We got the right book. And that Jesus is exactly who scripture says He is with hundreds of prophecies, sometimes hundreds of years in advance, given, pointing exactly to who Jesus was. God revealed to us who the Christ would be and exactly what he would do with hundreds of prophecies. Hundreds of years in advance, we were told of the death, the burial, and the resurrection, and the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. It says in Psalm 22, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented, it says, they pierced my hands and my feet. In Isaiah 53, it says, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. That's the gospel right there. 
that every one of us has gone astray. But He took the scourging in our place, and by His stripes, we are healed. The Lord has caused our iniquity to fall on Him. And then hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, we're told of the resurrection and the power that He would have to deliver us from death. In Hosea, it says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave, and I will redeem them from death. O death, where is your plague? O O grave, I will be your destruction. God said that. Looking forward to the resurrection. Paul also includes a very important detail in the fact that as he wrote this in 1 Corinthians to the Corinthian people, that there were many eyewitnesses of the resurrection because there are people that would deny the resurrection. But what Paul is saying, and there were people denying the resurrection at that time. And so what Paul says is that he appeared to Peter, then to the 12, then he appeared to over 500 other brethren who still remain today in Jerusalem, though a few of them had died. Then he appeared to James. Then he appeared to the rest of the apostles. And then he appeared, Paul said, to me. Paul's saying that, guys in Corinth, if you don't believe me, take a little trip down to Jerusalem and what you'll find there is an empty tomb and over 500 people that can testify to the fact that they've seen the risen Lord. You see, the resurrection is the heart of the message of the church because that early church saw the resurrected Lord. Without the resurrection, there is no such thing as Christianity. Because without the resurrection, there's no such thing as hope. Because if Jesus hasn't conquered death, we still have no answer for death, do we? We're we're still dead in our sins. But He has. He's delivered us from that. Peter, writing to some of the very people that had crucified Jesus, says this in Acts chapter 2. He says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in in your midst, just as you know. People that had crucified Jesus, he says, you know what Jesus did. You saw the miracles just as you know. This man delivered over to the predestined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again. And then this is the best part. Putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. Putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. Jesus came to deal with the problem of death and the resurrection. Jesus conquered death. And through that gives hope true and ultimate hope to all humanity. The Apostle Paul makes the point here in 1 Corinthians 15 that without the resurrection, there's no such thing as ultimate hope. You see, we'll put our hope in a lot of things, won't we? We'll we'll put our hope in other people. We'll put our hope in our health. We'll put our hope in jobs. We'll put our hope in our boss. We'll put our hope in our spouse. We'll put our hope in in a lot of things. But those things let us down a lot of times, don't they? And what Paul's saying is there's no ultimate hope. No hope that transcends all those things. No hope that's going to transcend 
your job, transcend yourself, your, your health, transcend every relationship. There, there's absolutely no hope that will transcend those except the hope of the resurrection. He says there in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith also is in vain. If there's no resurrection, what are, what are we doing? He says in verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, yet your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. He says in verse 19, if we've hoped in Christ in this life only, meaning that if he can only help us here in this life and nothing transcends this life, he says we are of most, he says of all men we are most to be pitied. But then he says, but now Christ has been raised. First fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You see, the whole of Christianity hinges on the resurrection. The whole of our hope hinges on the resurrection. The resurrection is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. The resurrection is what sets Jesus apart from every other world philosophy, from every other religious leader, from every other belief system. Because Jesus alone said in John 10, 17, and 18, he says, I lay down my life and I take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative and I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. No one in all of history has done that. No one in all of history has said, listen, my followers, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be put to death. I'll be in the grave for three days, and then I'll see you guys. No one in all of history. The the resurrection proves that Jesus is not just some moral teacher or compassionate, benevolent person. Though he was those things, he's more than those things. Listen, there's a lot of good moral teachers out there. There's a lot of very compassionate benevolent people doing a lot of good stuff in this world. But if that's all that Jesus is, if all he is is a good teacher or a benevolent person, then we're seriously in trouble because then we have no answer for death in the grave. We have no answer for the broken relationship that comes through our sin and and breaks that relationship with God. Scripture makes that point. Paul makes that point when he says, if we've hoped in Christ in this life only, meaning if he can only help us in in this life. I hear people a lot of times say, man, I'm so glad that guy's going over to church because, you know, he's over there and now he's getting his act cleaned up and all of those kind of things, which is cool because Jesus will do that. But if that's all he is, we're in trouble. And Paul says that if we've hoped in Christ in this life only, we of all men are most to be pitied. But. Christ has been risen from the dead. And Jesus says in John 6, 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him, listen to what it says, will have eternal life. And I myself will raise Him up on that last day. Amen? You see, that's the hope that all humanity is looking for. You know this, every single person on this planet, at some point in their life, 
contemplates what happens when they die. What happens after this? Without hope, the human spirit despairs. The human spirit can't live without hope. The human spirit can endure the most horrific things, the biggest pains and the most horrific things if it believes that at least there's some purpose or meaning or future beyond those things that they're going through. And Jesus didn't even attempt to hide the fact that in this world there would be tough times. A lot of you guys are going through those tough times now. He said, in this world, there will be tribulation. He never tried to hide the fact that this world would be tough because it's a fallen world. But what he said was, to be of good courage because I've overcome this world. There's more than this world. There's things that transcend this world. And he says, for whatever is born of God overcomes this world. He said, this is the victory that has overcome this world, our faith. Who's the one that overcomes this world? But the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This world's going to get tough, but Jesus saying, there's hope in me. There's a, a, a future in me. There's an ultimate hope beyond this world in me. Paul understood that when he wrote, and he said in Romans 8.18, he says, for I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He's looking forward to that ultimate hope. Every human heart longs for hope. And every human heart longs for hope because of the condition of humanity and the uncertainty of this world. Because we live in this world and our life experience is oftentimes pain. We look around and we see a lot of people in pain. We see sickness, and we see suffering, and we see sin hurting people and people's lives being destroyed. And and so the human heart longs for hope because of the condition of humanity. Because every one of us knows that we're aging, yeah? Last week I turned 40, and I've never felt so old in my life. Man, I've had two major surgeries in one year, and I feel like I'm falling apart. Every one of us knows that, right? We're slowly aging and we're not getting better. At least I'm not. And we all understand that death is a certainty for every one of us, don't we? You guys realize that death has a 100% success rate? And we look at the injustice in our world, yeah? The pain and the suffering and... And every one of us longs, don't we, for something that transcends this, that transcends the pain that I'm in as I grow older and look at life now heading downward instead of upward. Look at the injustice in the world, and I hope that there's something that transcends this world that can bring an ultimate righteousness to all of the evils that have happened And I realize that death has a 100% success rate, and I hope there's something. I need that hope for something that transcends that. And when people feel that they have no hope, what happens? They despair. That's what hope is. That's what despair is. It's it's an absence of of hope. And people will turn to 
things to try and cover that hope. They'll go to substance abuse. We see people with no hope go into depression. We've seen it this year. People with no hope turn to suicide. People with no hope, as they look at this life and it's fleeting and there's nothing more for them, you look at all the atheistic countries of the world have the highest rate of suicide because they have no hope that transcends this world. When there's no hope, people go insane. Frederick Nietzsche was the progenitor of the God is Dead movement. His father was a pastor, actually. He was a German philosopher in the 1800s, and he spent his whole life kind of giving this idea that God is dead. And as he uh, got on in life, he, he was quite sickly. And because there was no hope for him, no, nothing that transcended this world for him, because his philosophy had said that God is dead, there's nothing past this life. He went completely mad. That, that's because, church, God has built eternity in our hearts. That, that's what Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us, that God has built eternity in our hearts. And when we harden our hearts to that, the, the fact that God has built that eternity in our hearts that we know, we know that something transcends this world. When, when we harden our hearts to that, we kill the very hope that God created us for. He created us for a real and meaningful and dynamic and love relationship with Him, not just for now, but for all eternity. And we know that because He's built eternity into our hearts. And if you came this morning and you don't know that, I want you to know that's what God wants for you. A true, meaningful love relationship with you, not only here in this world, but for all eternity. He loves you. He's nuts about you. He sent His Son to a cross for you. And all humanity needs hope. All humanity longs for hope. And there's hope available to everybody. But it only comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth. And he said, I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. When Lazarus had died, been buried for four days, and Jesus shows up at his house, and the sisters are grieving. And they said, if you'd only been here, our brother would have lived. If you'd only come and healed him while he's alive. And Jesus said, he will be alive. And they said, yeah, we know one day in the resurrection. And Jesus stopped. He says, I am the resurrection. I'm the answer to death. And he raised Lazarus from the dead to prove it to all those there. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. But when you belong to Jesus, Romans 8, 10, and 11 says, In Christ, 
if Christ is in you. Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit which dwells in you. Amen. So what do we do now? How, how do we respond to this? Well, if you're a Christian, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, then we celebrate this. We, we rejoice. We worship the resurrection because it means for us eternity with God. Our hope is locked down in Jesus Christ, knowing that our eternity is taken care of and we have been set free from the guilt and the sin and the shame that held us in bondage before and we have nothing to fear in this world or the next. I love what it says there in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54. It says, but when this perishable, and I'm gonna tell you, this thing is perishable. When this perishable will have put on imperishable, And when this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying which is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're a Christian, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, you can say, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your, string, your sting? And in that, we should rejoice. And so because of the resurrection, we have peace in Christ in a crazy world. We have hope of knowing that our eternity is locked down in Jesus. And our lives now have meaning and purpose far greater beyond ourselves and far greater than anything this world can give us. And for that reason, we celebrate. And we should worship the Lord for all He is worth. And then we should share that hope with everybody we can. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to all that believe. If you came this morning and you don't know Jesus in that way, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, meaning you've never chosen to follow Him, you've never repented of those sins and said, Jesus, I need you to forgive me and I choose to walk with you. If you've never done that, or if some point in your life you have, but you've walked away from Him, it says in Acts chapter 17, verse 30 and 31, it says, God now, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man, Jesus Christ, whom he appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So if you've never surrendered your life to Christ or you've walked away from him, I want you to know this morning That Jesus is nuts about you. He loves you. He hung on a cross for you. He he wants to remove from you any lack of hope. He wants to remove from you any sense of fear of death. And, And he wants to replace that with a peace and hope and a joy 
and a meaning and a purpose that's so much greater than anything that we can find in this world. The whole world is searching for and asking, is there any hope beyond this world? And Jesus answered that question with the empty tomb. Jesus answered that question with the resurrection. And if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you need to do it today. And if you've walked away from Jesus, you need to come back to Him today. And coming to Christ means this. It's coming to Him and repenting of sin and saying, I'm sorry, Lord, for having rejected you. And having tried to do it my own way and lived apart from you all of this time, trying to go it on my own, when I have a loving God that's there for me, that wants to give me the power to walk through this life, I'm sorry for having rejected you and I need you. And I surrender my life to you now. And I choose to follow you now. Now, it's got to come from the heart though. It shouldn't just be an emotional response because it's Easter or because... We're reading these scriptures. It it needs to be a heartfelt desire for God. But when that's there, we have these promises of Jesus. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asked, do you believe this? And so I want to give an opportunity this morning for anybody that wants to come to the Lord to just take a stand for him now. And I'm going to pray with you if that's you or anybody that wants to come back to the Lord, that's walked away from Him, and you said, I'm back. Jesus, I need you, and I'm sorry for having lived apart from you. I'm just going to invite you to just stand right where you are. Take a bold, bold step, and just stand up. I'd like to pray with you. If there's anyone here. Before we pray, is there anyone else that wants to take a stand this morning for Jesus? For the first time, or coming back to Him, either one. Right on, brother. It's a bold move. If that's you and and you're reluctant, as we begin to pray, just stand. Guys, pray with me. Father, we're sorry for having tried to live and walk a life apart from you. Lord, we recognize that we need you. We praise you and thank you for the cross that takes away our sin and the resurrection that gives us new life. Lord, we choose now to walk with you. We ask for your strength in that. Lord, I pray for these standing right now, Lord, that you would fill them with your spirit like never before. That as they've taken this step of faith, that you would honor that faith and that this would be the most lukewarm they would ever be 
And that every day they would grow stronger and closer and deeper with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at The Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening and God bless.